Welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, currently in sunny Quinton, Birminghamshire, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, who is literally, almost literally, about to fly to Denmark. Kieran, would you like to swap? Uh, can I think about that one, Kevin? If you don't mind. You, actually, uh, full disclosure: we are recording this on Tuesday evening, which almost guarantees that something important will happen tomorrow, because Kieran will be at Stansted Airport. Because why, Kieran? Tell the people why they need to know why you're going to be at Stansted Airport at six o'clock in the morning. Because I've managed to find a flight for six pounds to Denmark. Yeah, which 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 is great, Kieran. That's economical and very good. But who's paying for the flight to Denmark? Uh, somebody else, <laughs> because I've been invited. I've been invited to give a speech there. So, but I, I, I just can't. I, I, you know, my uncle Terry would be devastated if he, if he knew that I was wasn't managed to get a, a deal because he was always a man for a deal. Having said that, I think Uncle Terry would only be too happy. There's a lot of money flying around in Denmark. If a Danish football club were willing to fly you over there, I think Uncle Terry would be feet up first class, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> very possibly. Yeah, it, very possibly. It's yeah. it's Newsday. Um, <laughs> so let's ignore the fact that a huge, massive story will have broken between Tuesday and now. Our very first news story, though, Kieran, is that a lot of people are very suspicious, suspicious people, Kieran, who think that UEFA's proposed changes to the Champions League looks like a backdoor to the Super League. Yes, it's all kicking off uh, between uh, interested and vested interested parties with uh, relations to the the Swiss style model and the fact that the Champions League Champions League is moving from 32 mm. to 36 clubs in 2024 um the clubs and by this we mean the big clubs want the uh, the changes to be based so that two clubs will get it on the basis of uh their 10 year coefficient mm. in UEFA competitions i you don't have to win matches domestically but if you do win matches uh in in Europe then then that will be in, in your best interest whereas the leagues uh, and uh, remember there are there are more than four countries in Europe and this will this will come as a surprise mm. to uh to super league uh, uh club owners um the league say well why can't we have four more places going to elsewhere in Europe. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if, for example, a Scottish club was guaranteed participation yeah. in, in the Champions League from 2024 and, and a couple of other countries as well? And could we have another place potentially going to Portugal or France? So um, <clears throat> that's that's where we are. It, it looked as if the, the clubs were going to get their way. But uh, I believe that there is a UEFA meeting going to take place relatively shortly and uh, people will be jabbing fingers at each other and uh, the, the Super League clubs will be trying to say that uh, this will save football if, if they can uh, qualify for the Champions League by not finishing in the top four. Um, and you know, nobody, nobody's. whenever you say to them, you know, doesn't the word champions in Champions League ever mean anything <laughs> yeah. to you? They, they sort of, they, they get very dismissive and, and change the subject very quickly. Yeah, I like the idea that the upcoming UEFA meeting will be, be like a carry-on film. You're just the, the, the representatives from the English clubs will just be standing to one side going, they, they get so excited, don't they? This, the French and the Italians, they're jabbing fingers at each other. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, Kieran, though, this, because there are people... On the face of it, it looks like some of the clubs in Europe are still jockeying to get the Super League ready to happen. But yet, as we've seen with the potential new owners of Chelsea, all the club owners here are are bending over backwards to completely disassociate themselves from it, whilst at the same time being still contractually obliged to be part of it. So it's it's very strange. you, you can't help but suspect that somewhere along the line the Super League is going to happen. But it's it's almost like the English clubs will be saying, well, we've been forced into it. We don't like it, but what can we do? We signed the contract. We didn't read the small print. Yeah, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think if the, uh, if, if the commercial deals and the broadcasting deals uh, uh, negotiated by UEFA are as, as good as they're presently claiming that they're going to be, then that will placate the Super League clubs for a few years, but they will be 
trying to work out a way around it. So, so the, the, their, their big fear is another Leicester City, uh, you know, a, a yeah, club which has absolutely no right whatsoever in the views of uh, the Glazers and John Henry and, and Stan Kroenke and co. Has absolutely no right to to be in the Champions League place. And, they, and let's face it, these people don't care about football. They do care about the potentially up to £150 million a year that being in the Champions League can bring. And, and it's all, unfortunately, it, it's all to do with money. And, and our uh, our legacy fan, our our notion of football as a, as a romance at the start of August, and you've still got you've still got a chance of of, uh, of getting uh, into European competition is one that they want to squash altogether. And, and also, Kieran, this sounds like an odd thing to say, but because the English clubs backtracked so quickly, it seems to me that there are still fans here who don't entirely know what the Super League was meant to be. And I know this because I was at a memorial service last night and I got asked this question, but the, my friend who died put a lot of money behind the bar, so it was way too late in the evening to give a sensible answer. But people still don't seem to know whether the Super League will replace the Premier League or, or these clubs will leave the Premier League or whether this runs in conjunction with the Premier League as just a European league. Yes, and uh, the the aim of Super League was to have a reduced size Premier League to allow the Super League clubs to pay to play more games against themselves, right. potentially some games at weekends, and still have a domestic competition. Uh, and, and they wanted the best of both worlds. And, and the problem is, is we already know that there is, there are huge gaps between the rich or the very rich and, and the, the moderately rich in the Premier League. But if you think about it, if we're going to allow the the, the, uh, the sneaky six to have more games themselves and at the same time reducing the number of matches which would be played by the likes of Villa, Newcastle, Leeds, Leicester, mm. West Ham, you know, ambitious clubs, um, then, then that financial gap was going to grow even further. And the the sort of the, the closed shop would would just be increasingly reinforced. Uh, our next news story, Kieran. I'm sorry, I pause as I'm very hot. I'm staying in my mother-in-law's house. She's 85, so obviously it's like a sauna in here. I've, I've really, and, and not the type of sauna. No, not that type of sauna. No, just a very hot, no. very just a very hot place. I've never. You can see the radiators are literally glowing, and it's really warm outside. It's warm and so. <laughs> One of these days, it'll be so hot, she'll take her hat off. Um, I, I, like, I like to think this story is is, uh, is proof that the Premier League are listening. There's an ice cream van there. You don't get that in South London, do you? Um, <laughs> I like to think this is proof that the Premier League listened to our pod because this is a story we talked about at some length last week. Um, the Premier League is to cut ties with the law firm of the FA's interim chairman. Yes, um, this this is a classic story of uh, you need to be seen to be behaving in the right mm. way as well as behaving in the right way. So this all relates to Peter McCormack, um, whose law firm was by all accounts carrying out the vast majority of the owners and directors tests on behalf of the F, of the, the Premier mm. League, whilst at the same time he was the interim chair of the Football Association. And that that looks like a conflict of interest. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I contacted one of our, uh, our lawyer friends and he said, it doesn't only look like a conflict of interest, it is a conflict of interest and it's not very clever at all. Um, and whilst McCormick's will, will no doubt, you know, they will cite that they've got ethical walls, um, the, the, the news is that, that I'm hearing from, from our, our sources is that uh, you know McCormick's law firm? Well, Peter McCormick, who 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 was the person involved, he's the senior partner there, and um, it, it it came as news to the Premier League that he was also carrying out the owners and directors test. So there's been you know sometimes if, if you if there if you do have a conflict or, or you think there could be an issue, the sensible thing to do is to be proactive and just hold up your hand and say, look, chaps, that that look, folks, there is a potential issue here. We have set up divisions within our organisation so that different parties don't talk to each other um, and, and uh, you know, legally there's nothing wrong. Uh, but you, know, you, you end up 
marking your own homework, yeah. and, and it, it doesn't look too clever. Well, I mean, that's the worry here, Kieran. You, you don't like to think that this is just an example of the arrogance of a certain class of people who are, yeah, they do three years as CEO of one organisation, move on to another. But it, it, it's sort of beggar's belief that somebody didn't say, well, hang on a second, I, I, there is this really obvious conflict of interest here. The Premier League should have known about it, you'd think, uh, you'd guess. Mm. Uh, and, and even McCormack himself, you'd think, would be sensible enough to say, well, there is this slight problem. My company, my, my legal firm does the fit and proper persons test, so maybe for the next three years I, I should sit out or, or another company should do that. But it's clear that hasn't happened. Yeah, uh, and and that's why the Premier League is is cutting ties themselves because clearly they must feel slight, slightly uncomfortable. And yeah, there's there's more than one legal firm in the country. Yes, of course. Yeah, but also it it plays into the hands of those people in the Premier League who don't want an independent uh, ombudsman adjudicator, whatever you want, because you know the FA are putting themselves forward for that role, and clearly it's not a role they're fit for, is it? By the looks of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the FA's ability to uh, make themselves look ham ham fisted is is quite quite regular mm. and too and, and very concerning. Mm. Uh, the airline Jota Aviation, which is used by a number of Premier League clubs, has shut down. Kieran. Yes, this, this is a funny one. Um, we, there's sort of been a few press reports, and the reason why this is important is that. The likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, the, the the two Premier League clubs from Manchester, they by all accounts use Jota Aviation. It's it's a small airline. It's got three aircraft which it charters out. And fans might be saying, "Yeah, hold on, you know, I, you know, why why can't Premier League clubs travel using other means of transport which are better ecologically, better better for the environment, uh, and, and probably cheaper as well." Um, and and speaking to somebody who's, who's involved in transport at a at one of those clubs, they said, "In an ideal world, we, we'd like to be able to do that." But the problem is, um, the, the 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 British rail sorry the British road system is uh, is full of delays, and also we we, we don't want eight hundred nine hundred million pounds worth of assets yeah. sitting in a coach, even if it's a luxury coach for. Hour after hour after hour prior to uh, prior to pl- playing a match, so uh, th- there's a, there's a time issue. If you, if you take a look at the trains, the trains are quicker. But if you've got a Premier League team on a train, you're going to have a lot of fans who will be any chance for selfie. Yeah, try, trying to break through, even if they, uh, uh, you know, e- even if the the, the 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 clubs involved can manage to sort of get a carriage or two to themselves, you've still got the issues of getting on and off the station and being mobbed. So, so they they have tended to use uh, aircraft, um, but it looks like this organisation, Jota Aviation, and and I went to look, take a look at their accounts. They're, they're losing sixty grand a week. They've not published the account since twenty twenty. And I, I always say that's a red flag when we're looking at football clubs, where it's a red flag for any organisation. Um, so, whilst it's not formally in administration, uh, from according to Companies House. Uh, by all accounts, it has ceased trading, so they're going to have to look to look elsewhere. And yeah, th- there is an issue in the world of aviation because you you cannot find staff. It's it's an absolute nightmare. You know, there, there's a limited number of qualified pilots. Uh, mm. There's been no training of pilots, of course, during lockdown, mm. and, and everybody's chasing after the same people. Mm. Yeah, you and I probably remember every club has these anecdotal stories, but I do remember coming back for a game. Uh, Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury, uh, and word got around that the Palace players were on the train, the same train, and everyone piled forward, but just went, "Oh, first class, we can't go in." This is what I to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I remember people getting furious. Look at them, fancy Dan's travelling first class rather than stuck in standard like the rest of us. Um, I like this story, Kira. Walsall have been on the receiving end of some stick uh, and some very predictable jokes, I have to say. After they announced, <laughs> yes. after Walsall announced their sponsorship deal with Poundland, which I think is the the closest association a football club has had with a supermarket since Brighton and Hove Albion started wearing Tesco carrier bags as their home kit. <laughs> oh, very good. I've never, I've never heard that one before either. Talking about predictable jokes. 
Always, it was even better when we had to used to have the matching shorts. Yeah, I know. Always Kieran always finish even in training. Is what is what I'm told. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm well, no, I, I can understand a little bit of light, light-hearted jesting hmm. taking place with regards to this, but my view is is it's fair play to Walsall and fair play to yeah. Poundland because first of all, they both got a lot of uh, publicity on the back of this. Which is uh, which? Which is good for all parties. That's what you're wanting to do in respect of a uh, of a commercial deal. Um, Walsall have also uh, they they've got their kits out for next season, and, and they do look pretty pretty damn good mm. as well. I've, I've had a look at all three kits. You know, you and I we, we both are a bit of a sucker for a football kit, um, and it, it's it's not a gambling company. It's not a crypto company. Huh? It's not an NFT company. It's it's uh, it's not a vice in any way. Um, so uh, yeah, good, good luck to Walsall. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's a UK based business. So yeah, the, the money the money's circulating within the country. Uh, you know, at, at, at the lower leagues, uh, I, I was looking at some data last week. The the average front of shirt deal is around about one hundred and twenty k a year. So. You know, it, it's it's not a huge amount of money, but it's, it's going to pay the wages for one of the players. Yeah. Um, so so fair play to Walsall, and 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 also as an away fan, I like going to Walsall. I, I love going to Walsall. Um, the Arboretum in Walsall was wonderful. The art gallery is brilliant. It's got Noddy Holder's voice in the lift, which tells you which floor you, has it, it has. Yeah, <laughs> tells you what floor you're going to. Uh, but also, I mean, as you say, 120, however much it, you know, whatever the wags on social media are saying Poundland has spent a lot more than a pound on this sponsorship. And you know what, with the, you know, this vast amounts of the country are in financial crisis. So it's a brand that a lot of people in the West Midlands will recognize. So it's, I think that's a very interesting deal for Walsall, a club, of course, which quite often gets overlooked because they're, you know, we talk about the Northwest of England quite a lot, but Walsall won't thank us for saying this, but of course they're competing with West Brom, uh, Wolves, Villa, Birmingham, you know, all all clubs in the higher leagues. So uh, fair play to them. Um, Sunderland's latest accounts are out, Kieran, and there are some interesting numbers. It says here. Uh, yes, because this is the the first season that Sunderland have had without parachute payments oh. since they were relegated from the uh, from the Premier League in in twenty seventeen. Um, and uh, yeah, for me, the most eye-watering thing is, uh, yeah, we, we've all we've all had to take a bit of a pounding on on, on the on the back of COVID, mm. uh, but uh, Sunderland's income is down ninety-two percent wow. compared to where they were in the Premier League. Um, they're losing two hundred thousand pounds a week, Very, which is yeah. you know, big by by League One standards. Uh, you know, they can't even say, "Well, yeah, we're gambling and getting to the Premier League because because they they need to get out of League One mm. first. Um, in terms of their wages, one hundred and twenty five pounds in wages for every hundred pounds worth of income doesn't look too clever. Clever. The, the average wage is about just over six grand a week, which is is more than double than that of of the rest of the division on average. Um, if, if you take a look at the, the Sunderland squad at the end of 2021, for a League One squad, it cost more than £17 million, which is over half of the total amount of squad value in the whole of League One, which which begs the question, why on earth are they still in League One? You know, they, they've got so much more uh, financially than, than the other clubs, and they've now had three seasons there, and, and I think... You know, yeah, we we don't talk about football, but football decisions must have been pretty appalling mm. in 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 that division made by by senior management and the the, uh, the some of the, uh, the the unusual characters that have uh, have been in the boardroom at that club. Yeah, they certainly have attracted some unusual characters. Um, they're playing Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs, which is a huge game. Uh, both of those legs mm. will sell out, sell out more than sell out, and they could sell out twice. The the odd thing, though, for fans of clubs in that division is that most of them won't want Sunderland or Sheffield Wednesday to be promoted, and certainly clubs that are coming up from League Two, like Forest Green or Exeter, will be desperate for Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday not to go up because that's a, a big payday for them in terms of match day income, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, they're they're both massive. Yeah, they've got huge away followings. 
Um, so, so you can understand it from from the perspective of the smaller clubs because you know that they could sell out you know, the away ends twice over in in, in many of the the stadia in in that division. Now we talked on the last pod, Kieran, about um, Feyenoord uh, of Rotterdam, of course, uh, having trouble financing their new stadium, deciding to pull. Uh, Aberdeen are having the same sort of problems. They've revealed that their new stadium has increased by a lot of money, Kieran, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, Aberdeen have been planning to move from Pitodri for about four or five years. And the initial estimates of, of stadium cost was £45 million. Pounds. Uh, yeah, and we know that inflation is uh, is unpleasant at present, but it's gone from 45 to 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 75 million. Mm. So yeah, that's a that's a that's a 66% increase. And uh it, it does look like like potentially you know, a very very attractive new stadium. Um but the reason is it is if you think about it, it doesn't matter what product you're making, uh, everything's a combination of materials, labor costs and, and overheads. And and as far as the construction industry is concerned, the material costs element has gone mm. through the roof. Um, getting hold of, uh, of of craftsmen is, is becoming more and more difficult. So therefore, wages have gone up. And you know, in terms of overhead, well, you know, you know, we all know gas, electricity, water th- through the roof as well. So um, it, it's keeping it's keeping the chairman awake at night. Um, why are they moving from Pitogdry? It's you know he he says that the grounds effectively he he says it's landlocked. There's no room for expansion, and if Aberdeen wants to compete at the very top level and yeah you know, we know that Scottish football has been a duopoly for a mm. for a long long period of time um a, a new stadium with better facilities especially for the uh, the hospitality uh, areas you know, that would generate an extra 3 to 4 million pounds a year um so so that's where they are now the council have said well we've got a plot of land which is not far from Pitodri we could come to some sort of an arrangement with you because I think the council were planning something as well, but I'm, I'm not sure that Aberdeen want to go down that route. And of course, the, the longer and longer it takes to make a final decision, the higher the higher the the, the final costs of of the new stadium. You know, if I think about Brighton Stadium, yeah, and that, that's ten years old now. Yeah, that cost ninety one million pounds. We thought that was a lot at the time, but uh, I, I hate to think how much it would cost today. Some of our younger listeners as well, Kieran, won't be aware that Aberdeen were an absolute powerhouse of Scottish football, weren't they, back in the late 70s, early 80s? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were brilliant. And they, I remember Gordon Strachan, yeah. Mark McGee, uh, those type of players playing for them, and, and they were a delight to watch. And and those were the days where uh, you know European football used to be on uh, terrestrial TV and you would support Scottish clubs because... They were Scottish clubs, whereas now, uh, you know, I, I think that when when some of our clubs are playing in European football, I'm I'm, I'm not necessarily in uh, overexcited if they win. Mm. I also like the fact that uh, wherever you go in Scotland, whatever town you go to, they all assume that Aberdeen's rolling in money. Aberdeen just rolling in it because you, yes. you, men- you mentioned gas and oil. They just say, well, just they'll just put another pipeline in, gas it straight in. You'll think that everyone's rolling in money in Aberdeen, but it—it—it. It, it, I mean, there are the, the potential there is huge, isn't it, for hospitality because there are many multinational companies based in Aberdeen because of the oil and gas industry, aren't there? Yep, yeah, and uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. BP have just announced their financial results, and I think it's fair to say um, nobody at BP is going to be selling the big issue. Uh, yeah, I know. Funny enough, in the in the car driving up to Birmingham today, <laughs> I had to calm Ali down when uh, a minute some minister for something or other said, "No, no, it's it's not right to ask BP to pay extra tax on their their huge profits because otherwise, how are they going to invest in the greener energy that we need in future to to not be in hock to Russia? It's like, Just make them pay the tax. I get made to pay my tax. You get made to pay your tax. Why isn't the same person at Fleetwood who phones me up getting cross phoning up BP saying, give us a bit more money? doesn't work like that, Kieran, I know, but there you are. Um, the NFT company, Sportimon Go, uh, which has commercial deals with Rangers and Hibs, appears to have ceased trading. Now, I'm, I'm interested in why Guy has written here, uh, appears to have ceased trading. You either have or you haven't, haven't you? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. I, th- I think we mentioned this uh, recently on the show. And uh, the, the reason why it, it looks like it sees trading is that 
all of its social media accounts effectively disappeared. The website uh, disappeared. And I think earlier today, in the, in the last few hours, there has been some confirmation with regards to this. So, so the website effectively was ghosted and, and then sort of said, uh, yeah, we, we, we ain't trading anymore. Um, now, you know, we, we had football index last year. We've had issues with some of Manchester City's commercial partners uh, involved in this industry. And now it, co- it, it comes as no surprise. It's, a, it's an unregulated, highly volatile, easily manipulated market. Um, as far as NFTs are concerned, when when John Terry uh, brought out his NFTs, you know the value tanked by ninety percent. When Liverpool, and let's face it, there is no sexier football brand than Liverpool at present. If Liverpool can't sell them, um, then there are going to be issues. And uh, you know, I, I asked Robert Smith of the Cure. He says, "Is this happening regularly?" And he said, "Again and again and again and again and again and again and again, 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 again." Um, and you, 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 you can't get a better orator on the subject than that. Uh, indeed, um, Kieran, we've had this discussion before because Kira are your favourite band and my wife's favourite band. In my view, again and again and again and again and again uh, describes how often they write the same song. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, Sportamon Go, they, uh, they have, I think they've got back of shirt sponsor deals or, or, and uh, with, uh, with Rangers and Hibs, two-year and three-year deals again. Um, and and here, here the clubs are in, in a position. You know, we, we've used this phrase on a regular basis, blinded by the check. Yeah, yeah. Somebody offers you money, you bank the check, you don't worry, you don't do a lot of due diligence. And there are also lots of people who uh, use what is known as FOMO when it comes to uh, NFTs and cryptocurrency. FOMO is fear of missing out. And where we are with uh, the world of crypto, with the world of NFTs, uh, it, my analogy would we would be we're in a similar position to the very late nineties and um, the the rise of of e trading. And the thing is, for for every Amazon which has been spectacularly successful, mm. there are a thousand companies involved in uh, you know when, when the internet uh, when the internet boom took place uh, in the late nineties. And and effectively, you could if you walked into a bank with a with a goatee beard and cargo pants, you could and say, I'm I'm in I'm in I'm creating a new website. The bank managers would just hand over money. Without asking any questions, without doing any due diligence, because they thought that the internet was the uh, was the the road to riches, and everything would turn to gold, and and it doesn't. So the, the problem we have with these industries is that when we look back in you know ten or twenty years time, um, there will be some very successful companies based in NFTs and and, and cryptocurrencies in all probability, but for every success, there's going to be a thousand failures. And by partnering with failures and, and what these industries are trying to do is that they are trying to get credibility and legitimacy by uh, by partnering with football clubs. And it, and it means that some people are going to lose a lot of money. What I would suggest, Kieran, is if you walk into a bank with a goatee beard and cargo pants, the bank's probably in Brighton. Uh, <laughs> but teams, teams, Kieran, are still... Boarding the crypto buses, despite the fact that people are starting to get uneasy about the whole thing, despite the fact that companies are going bust, despite the fact it's completely unregulated, teams are still getting on board. Atletico Madrid, my son's least favourite team by a country mile. Uh, uh, yeah, partly because of the way they play football and partly because he had an accumulator go down because they didn't get enough corners in the second half. Uh, <laughs> um, they've signed a 200 million euro sponsorship deal with whalefin who are a crypto investing app yeah and you know we, we say blinded by the check well 200 million euros it, you know that that's that's being blinded a, a bit like uh in men in black you yeah, know it, yeah. it's it, it and uh will will whalefin be around in five years because this is a five-year deal we we've got absolutely no idea is it a huge sum of money yes it is um atletico madrid will say well, it's legal. It's the biggest. Yeah, it's the, they're the biggest players in town. There's potentially we're going to see Liverpool, you know, get get uh, replace Standard Chartered with 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 one of these organisations as well. Um, and therefore, you know, what, what's the downside? Um, and, and from the club's point of view, there's 
there's not a huge amount of downside un- unless they un- unless these organizations do go bust um and, you know and we and we saw that that caused short term problems for Nottingham Forest and QPR last mm. season when football index went bust but they'd already received the money for for that year's sponsorship they just had to sort of uh, try to find a replacement for for the, for the remainder of the deal um so atletico madrid will do this and they say well you know what's the problem the problem is it's it's a, it's a it's a gateway to to gambling uh because uh, the the companies themselves never say we are an investment. Mm-hmm. They never say that we are a uh, a, a a glorified Ponzi scheme. Uh, yeah, but they they will say, well, we're, we're just uh, we're just part of the digital metaverse, um, to use the exact words, um, and that they trade in in Bitcoin, crypto tokens, and this was the surprise bit: real money, real money, uh, real oh, wow. money, yeah. So, uh, and I presume that Atletico Madrid have asked for payment in real money because their players will want payment in real money. And, you know, the, the electricity company will want payment in real money um, um, unless we, we, we do all side decide that we're going to embrace cryptocurrency as a means of, of paying for goods and services. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Kieran, there's two questions off the back of that. Um, are you speculating about Liverpool's sponsorship with Standard Chartered being replaced by a cryptocurrency, or is that something you, it, that is going to happen? It 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 is speculation. There there has been comment upon it uh, in in the media. Um, my understanding is that uh, Standard Chartered have have done very well from Liverpool that they feel that they could have been promoted a bit right. more uh, that there's one or two grumbles uh, coming from the sponsors end and also Liverpool are asking for a lot more money to to renew this partnership and and that's that's fully understandable you know Liverpool are yeah if you know potential quadruple yeah. uh, they are playing magnificent football Jurgen Klopp's just extended his contract to 2026 and and he's a brand in his Absolutely, own right yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, he, you know, he's got so many things going for him in, in that he's, you know, intelligent, articulate, funny, uh, and he's an absolute delight from a marketeer's perspective. So you you can see why Liverpool are going to try to extract maximum dollar from, uh, you know, they'll probably give standard chartered first refusal. But you know, the, the stories in the press is is that there is an alternative um, from from the the, the crypto space. But there's also a link there, Kieran, to the Walsall story earlier on because. I know exactly what Poundland is. Uh, I know whether my local Poundland is as well. Standard Chartered, I'm not entirely sure what they do. I mean, I see their name all the time on Liverpool shirts, as do many, many millions of Liverpool fans across the world. But they're not a brand that you imagine the fans themselves would be buying into. So, in, you know, no, sorry, th- you know, do you know what I mean? In terms of you know, most Liverpool fans or most football fans probably aren't using Standard Chartered, are they? That, that certainly domestically, I'd, I'd agree with you. But Standard Chartered are uh, an Asian-based right. bank, and Liverpool have a uh, huge okay. fan right. base right. Okay. in in Asia, um, and and it and it's targeting that particular market. Uh, so, so Liverpool, uh, and and you know that's why Liverpool tour that area because you know that they have a commitment in in their contract that once every X years that they will go uh, to 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 where Standard Chartered is strong. And the other question about Whale Finn. And I think this is a question many of our listeners will be asking as well. You know, they're an app. Where where mm. are they getting the two hundred million euros to pay this sponsorship deal up front? Well, they'll they'll be getting it from uh, going going to the markets and and raising money from from the debt markets and the equity markets, private equity, and so on, by saying we are one of the bigger players in the world of. Uh, of, of NFTs and crypto, um, and uh, please give us some money. And and, and again, yeah, what I was saying earlier, uh, we are in. There are parallels with the with with sort of the tech boom um, at the end of the nineties, where the banks themselves weren't sure which of these companies were going to be successful. So therefore, they sort of took a portfolio approach and said, well, if we give quite a bit of money to ten of them, and two of them are successful. We can end up very rich on the back of this, 
um, and, and therefore they're, they're, they're quite willing to, to provide money for these organisations. And I think as well we should say, Kieran, we're becoming increasingly aware, and I'm, I'm addressing this comment to people who tweet us about this on a regular basis, there is an ecological aspect to the creation of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and whatever, and we are investigating that, and hopefully we'll, we will get somebody on to talk about that, because I think it's something that a lot of football fans are not aware of. Now, uh, Gary Neville, Kieran, you know, old habits die hard. He loves defending. We know that. Uh, <laughs> especially loves defending Man United when Jamie Carragher's laughing in his face. Um, but he's been defending Salford City this week. And in particular, Gary Neville's defended Salford City's spending policy after it was revealed the club is losing £91,000 a week and missing out on the playoffs, as they have just mm. done would not have helped. Sky, I'm not sure Gary Neville will be entirely happy with the Sky director because they showed the Salford game uh, live and cut immediately to Gary Neville in the executive box uh, desperately. Uh, not desperately, but he was he was phoning somebody up. Could have been his mate. Who knows? But according to Sky, he was it was a desperately anxious text about them not getting in the playoffs. But £91,000 a week, Kieran, to me, it, for a League <clears> 2 club, seems like an awful lot of money to be losing a week. Yeah, and and I'd, I'd hate to reveal who was the person on Twitter that revealed that they were losing £91,000 a week. Was it somebody was, whose club we might be visiting in the near future, Kieran? Uh, no, it was me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just assumed it was Andy Holt, knowing Andy Holt's relationship with Gary Neville. No, no, no it was you. No, you talked about Uncle Terry early on. Uh, what did Uncle Terry be... Uncle Terry, if you could, you can't. Obviously, when you're buried in concrete under a flyover, it's hard to turn in your grave. But he, he, he'll be attempting to turn. <laughs> what a grass! That's for, sorry, Kieran. What a grass! That's exactly. For, yes. We share the same Twitter feed. I should have known that, Kieran. Sorry, it's been a, it's been a busy couple of days. <laughs> um, yes. So Salford City, uh, they've lost four and a half million pounds, ninety-one pounds a week. So ninety-one k a week, um, and. Gary Neville has said, and uh, I can understand where he's coming from, we've come from Tier 8 and we've got as far as uh, League yeah. 2. Uh, it costs money. We've invested in infrastructure, although infrastructure costs don't really go through against profits, mm. Gary. I think you need to uh, you need to check your accounts there. Um, and uh, and then he was sort of saying, well, you know, we've, we've, we've helped some, some regeneration in the area. Yeah, that, that's fine. Uh, I think Salford's crowds have sort of, they're str- I think they're struggling to find a fan base and struggling to find what, what is their sort of their, their genuine level because they've come so far, so far, so fast, so quickly. Um, and uh, th- then he was sort of saying, well, you know, we, we, we could have spent money on, you know, on, on flash houses and fast cars. Well, you, you probably have done that as well because... Um, when 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 someone and I won't say who this was uh, went into the accounts in a bit more detail, they they found that the the total uh, the total cost of the shares issued by Salford City Football Club was ten full pounds, Kevin wow. ten pounds, wow. no more than that. Of which five are are owned by Peter Lim, the Singapore investor, and five are owned by the class of ninety two. And, and again, that's fine. Um, and then he says, "Yeah, well, we've also lent lent money, so so yeah, I, I dug it out. Um, uh, you know, a bit, bit of a dog with a bone. But the class of ninety two limited have lent Salford City. I think it's two hundred and forty five thousand pounds, a substantial sum of money. Nobody's denying yeah. that. Um, but uh, somebody has lent the uh, the club thirteen million quid, and uh, it, it says it's a shareholder loan now." Given that Gary Neville's a director, uh, as uh, you'd think it would be a director loan, so ha- is it di- is, is it Gary Neville? I think highly unlikely, yeah. especially if uh, my, my understanding is that given that he's not bought around since two thousand and two, <laughs> he's probably not going to go and lend the club thirteen million quid. Uh, I, I, I can't see I can't see his brother doing it either. Scolzi, no chance. You know, Scolzi, you know, he's he, he still quibbles over the price of a pair of socks. Uh, Ryan Giggs probably got other things on his mind at present, and uh, and, and Nicky Button, David Beckham. Yeah, David Beckham could do it, but uh, David, David Beckham, I, I don't think he's really bought into the class of no. '92 significantly. So, 
um, it's it's highly likely that the thirteen million pounds has come from from Peter Lim. So where are we? We are dealing with uh, somebody that's got no emotional investment in the club is lending huge sums of money to 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 underwrite these losses, which he's perfectly entitled to do. You know, I, I support a club which is underwritten by a guy that that does have a, has put a huge sum of money in. You've got investors at Palace, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the likes of Steve Parish, who, who who's helped save the yeah. club. So you know, there, there's no doubt that uh, people do do that. But when you don't actually support the club, because Peter Lim also owns a club in Spain, um, what happens if, if he says one morning? Why, why am I doing this? What's what's in it for me? Especially, you know, we're in League Two for mm. for the you know the third or fourth season in, on the trot. So therefore, you know, how are we doing compared to other clubs? Well, Salford City had uh, the biggest loss makers in League Two in 2021. They were the biggest loss makers in League Two in 2020, um, and you know that that does result in. Some criticism, yeah, and Gary, Gary Neville has been very articulate uh, with regards to the finances of the game. He's a big supporter of the independent regulator yeah. and so on. And what he appears to be saying here is, well, provided we put money in and we don't take it out, then then it's not a problem. But if you're going to do that, that's that's great. Put money in in the form of shares rather than loans, because loans have to be repaid. That's the nature of a loan. When we are in Accrington next week, uh, talking to Andy Holt, the owner of Accrington. Salford City will be the last question I ask him because uh, I'm worried if, if it's, and, it could, and it could be the longest that's answer that's what I'm worried if it's the first one we could be there yeah, for quite some time Salford City are a really interesting club because they weren't formed until during the Second World War and they were hugely successful as an amateur club Hugely successful in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And now they've become a professional club. You kind of think League One is the highest they'll ever go. So it makes you wonder whether Peter Lim is involved in this as a vanity project because it gets him in touch with with Gary Neville and David Beckham and Paul Scholes rather than because he has an affection for Salford City. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's an accusation that has been made. Yeah, we we genuinely don't know the answer to that. Certainly, the reaction on social media uh, depends on whether or not you like Gary Neville. It's, it's certainly an opportunity for for his critics to to beat him over the head with a stick about it, um, because he ha- he has been very vocal in respect to a lot of issues. But personally, I, I think he, he he's, he's spoken a lot of sense with regards to owner investment. Um, and even though he sort of he he he, he grumbles about Manchester City, he mm. he acknowledges that Manchester City have increased the competition at at the top of the Premier League because it it, it was Manchester United or Arsenal yeah, for so yeah. many years. And, and you know, had it not been for Abramovich and uh, and then Mansour, we would potentially still be in that duopoly today. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to potentially lose listeners here, Kieran. I'm, I like I'm, I'm in the camp. I like Gary. I've I've spent. Mm. I've been in his company a couple of times. He's like all of us. He gets tied up in knots sometimes. All football fans are hypocrites, really. You, ad- you, yeah, you, ad- yeah, you exactly. advocate certain views while acting in a different way. But I, I think in general, he's on the side of the angels when it comes to football finance and the way football's run out. And our last two stories, Kieran, are sort of linked. Um, the yes. first story is that the rules protecting what are the so-called crown jewels of sport are to be rewritten so the BBC and other terrestrial channels don't lose the rights to World Cups and Olympics in the future. Yes. Um, so the crown jewels, uh, yeah, so we've got the World Cup, the Olympics, the FA Cup final. Um, it's going to be extended to the Women's World Cup and the Women's European Championships as well, which which is all good, the Grand National. Um, and uh, you know, th- there, there are things changing in the world of media, some of which are not particularly a fan mm. of uh, if, if they go through um, but uh, what's going to happen is that uh, BBC, ITV, Channel 4 and Channel 5 are going to a first refusal in relation to these events um, and the government has said that they must be available to at least 95% of the population 
on a free-to-air basis. And some people say, well, well hold on. Yeah, we, we don't know what's going to happen. To, yeah, what happens if the BBC becomes a subscription yeah, service? Yeah. You know, what, what, uh, uh, we, we, we genuinely don't know. Um, I think there has been consternation that um, I think Discovery uh, did acquire the, the the rights to to some big tournaments, but they then had to effectively give them uh, that they couldn't use them themselves on the on the Discovery Plus channel. They had to then sell them to the BBC um, and, and ITV and so on. So, uh, yeah, the the world of broadcasting is becoming increasingly complex. The way that we consume uh, TV it clearly has changed, but sport is still the the single biggest. Did you see that last yeah. night? Yeah, yes. Yeah. On in the country, and if, if if you talk to people in the US as well, you talk to broadcasters there. They say if you take a look at the top twenty most viewed events in the year, eighteen of them will probably be sport. Yeah. And and the thing about sport is that you watch it live. Yeah. Whereas if I'm watching, uh, you know, I'm I'm currently going through Better Call Saul and Ozark on Netflix. Brilliant programs, but I, I watch them when it suits me. Uh, you know, as, as, uh, rather than than any way around sport, you've got to be there. It's the closest you, you have to to continued sort of live broadcasting. It's sort of old school broadcasting, and I think the government is is trying to do a little bit there to to protect the the terrestrial broadcasters. Yeah, and we were talking last week, Kieran, with some amusement about the fact that Channel Four had acquired the rights to show England's Nations League games. Uh, but now they've won the rights to show all England games until 2024, including European qualifiers. How are they affording that? Now, I would, of course, ask Nadine Dorries, the culture secretary, but she wouldn't have the foggiest clue. But it, it's a strange one, Kieran, because it's uh, ITV and, and England seems to have been quite a happy marriage for the last couple of years. You'd imagine Channel 4 wouldn't be able to come anywhere near outbidding ITV for, for football. Yeah, it, this this does seem a strange one. I mean, perhaps ITV have felt that they've either overpaid or that the level of advertising w- was lower than expected. Yeah, uh, if, if it is going to be Channel Four, you, know, you you've been involved in you were involved in Channel Four cricket, weren't you? No, I might no. have been. Was I? I've, I did it. I did. <laughs> I was a I was a <laughs> I was a guest on a Channel Four cricket show once. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so okay. yeah, so well, yeah, I was involved. Yeah, yeah. But, been re- but when Channel Four, yeah, you, you, Four had when, when Channel Four had cricket, they they did bring a few few new few new ideas to it. They did, and their highlight their evening highlight show with Mark Nicholas was very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, could they do the same? Because football has become quite stale. Yeah, you know, we we know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, can, can we do more things? Sort of in terms of. Uh, of, of the cameras at the match, what about before and after? Because it, the the same three faces talking about the same subjects to the same you know to to, to the same broadcasters, it, it is becoming a little bit predictable, and, and I think that's why the, the likes of Roy Keane in his in his Panto role have become quite amusing uh, because it, it it's just becoming a little bit bland. So so you know, Channel Four have a, have a track record. Um, of innovative broadcasting, and perhaps they could bring something there. I'm not saying combine it with Naked Attraction, um, <laughs> sort, of, sort of half-time, <laughs> but, but we have to wait and see. You know, I, I'm really worried now, Kieran. I did an entire three series of Channel 4 Cricket, and I've forgotten about it. Uh, I, I hosted a book launch the other night for a friend of mine, Jim Piddock, Hollywood actor. He was in Best of Show, uh, and it, it was lovely. But a very earnest gentleman came up to me afterwards to ask for my photograph. So I, I said, oh, you know, football fan? He went, no. Uh, and, and I kind of tried to narrow down why it was. He said, no, I, I love to do that sci-fi quiz you hosted on Radio 4. And like literally, I had, I had to Google it myself. It's a, it's a very short-lived science fiction quiz called To Boldly Go that I hosted on Radio 4 in which Bill Bailey played uh, the 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 out of sort of spaceman scoreboard uh very weird of which and then suddenly i remembered uh that there was one night when it all kicked off because and the reason it didn't get a second series because every single person in the audience knew more about every time i I gave the answer to a question you just heard this muttering from the audience because you're going to series two actually 
that wasn't Lieutenant Uhura. I know, but we had the two um, what the two guests one night were the the the, uh, the the rival computers in Red Dwarf, Hattie Hayridge and Norman Lovett, and it just kicked off because half the audience hated Hattie Hayridge as the computer, and half of them hated Norman Lovett as a computer book. <laughs> I know, but then I just I just really worried me that I'd completely forgotten hosting an entire series on Radio 4. So I'm going to have to go and Google cricket Kevin Day now to see what happens. Anyway, um, I know what's happening next Tuesday, Kieran, on May the 10th, because as we just alluded, we are going to the Wham Stadium, the home of Accrington Stanley, for our second ever live podcast, and we're looking forward to it very much. Tickets have nearly sold out. But if you want to try and get a couple, you can click on the link in this episode description or go to the Price of Football Twitter page. If you'd like to make a small contribution to our Always Free to Air podcast, then that would be kind of you. Please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question for our weekly questions pod on Monday, email questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as, as always, folks, thanks for the feedback. Thanks for keeping us in check. Um, <laughs> we, we don't quite have Trekkies uh, listening to the show, but I, I, I was corrected in in relation to the the question about replica shirts ah, were and, you? and Umbro by by one of this, which is absolutely brilliant because it's great that you know more about us. And, and uh, apparently, Umbro did do the replica shirts, but they didn't do the England badges on them because they didn't have the rights to the badge. Ah, right. so, well, I've, so th- thanks very much to our listener I've there. Got some bad news for you as well, Kieran, because they don't call themselves Trekkies either; they call themselves Trekkers. Oh, I know, man. it's like bird watchers and twitchers. They get very antsy about these things. So uh, it's a strange old world we live in, Kieran, isn't it? <laughs> it is It is indeed. Um, so if, if you want to support the show, Patreon for as little as £1 a month. Uh, you can come and see us next Tuesday at Accrington. We'd love to see you. Uh, tickets are just a tenner plus a, plus a small booking fee, which is nothing to do with us. Um, and and the, the last show was a complete blast. We, we had a whale of a time. Uh, if, if you if you talk to anybody that was there in the audience, they, they had fantastic time to do. We'll, we'll, we'll chat afterwards. We'll be in the bar. Um, and, and Coley's Bar uh, at Accrington looks absolutely fantastic. I think it's cost about two and a half million pounds to build. Uh, it was opened by our very good friend Tracy Crouch recently. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it will be it'll be a whale of a time. Um if, if you want to support the, the show in another way, the way that you can do that is, is to go onto your podcast app and uh, if you can give us a review, uh, if, give us five stars if you think we're worth it. Uh, yeah, we, we, do, we do put a lot of effort into the show. Um, and if you want to give us a review and, and to, to put some written comments, it doesn't matter what you write. You could, you could even say you'd rather have the show presented by Albert Tatlock and Keir Starmer. <laughs> And, and, and that would probably make myself and Kevin feel quite good because I suspect the ratings would plummet. Um, but, uh, and, and it would stop, you know, every, every time myself and Kevin ask producer guy for a pay rise, he said, I, I can always get somebody else yeah. to do the show, you know. And there's, there's, let's face it, I've got, the, the list is long enough. And, and, and that, that might, might might turn it back in our favour. Yeah. Who, who, who did the um, Albert Tatlock song? Was that Half Man, Half Biscuit? No, no, it was the Skids. Oh, Skids. Oh, my God. Yeah, of course. And and thank you for mentioning that uh, Tracy Crouch opened the bar in Accrington because I think that might have to be the first thing I talk about when we do the pod next week for five minutes. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football. I'm for the